Once again, to yet another episode of the Gavin Ross Cosbidacious Horror Podcast, I, as ever, Roscoe, and I'm joined once again by my dear friend, the most bodacious and salacious of colleagues, Mr. Gil, Jonathan Rokotansky. Gil, how the devil are you, my friend? I'm very good. I've uh, taken up hiding as a hobby. Hiding? Uh-huh. I'm up your chimney. Has Anne... <laughs> what are you going to look like with a chimney on you? That's what I want to know. That's what everybody wants to know. <laughs> Ding dong. Um, so, are you well? What's been happening? Uh, not much. I've been watch watched the final, just watched the final episode of the first season of Preacher. How's that been? It's been really good. It's it's been a bit of a departure from the the comic series. But... I didn't realize you could read. Well, I can. That's why it's I quite enjoy it. Like because now. I actually get to find out what people were probably saying. <laughs> you know, it's like pictures with words. Uh-huh. Wow. Yep. <laughs> and it, it took me ages to get through books because I always used to have to sit on buses and trains with the book wide open, hoping get... that one of those irritating <laughs> folk... Like, I'd have, I'd have headphones in, but no music playing because uh-huh. you know that every once in a while there'll be that person that's sitting beside you that's reading what you're reading and then every once in a while you strike gold where it's the sort of person where when they're reading they actually they read it out loud as well. <laughs> that was also how you learned to lip read, I believe. It was. <laughs> <laughs> that and Camel Toe Review. It's a good magazine. <laughs> it's good. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. The articles have really went downhill in the last few years. They have. <laughs> but yeah, what have you been doing? I have been watching Robot Wars. It's like the nineties, all over the two thousands without Jeremy Clarkson. I know it's even better. Um, it's Daryl. Well, he only did it for one year. Yeah, and then it was Craig Charles. Craig. It was then. It was Craig Charles and Philippa Forrester. Philippa Forrester. Like, yeah, that's right. Yep. And then uh, she left for a little bit and Jane Middlemas took over. Oh, yeah, then... that's right. What happened to Jane Middlemas? <sighs> she goes. What happened spurvy. to Philippa Forrester? I don't know. I don't want to Google it. Let's just I think that her. Jane Middlemas was on a Celebrity Big Brother thing a couple of years ago, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. But but then what happened to Jamie Theakston? Because when we talk about Jane Middlemas, I automatically think, ah, oh, the ozone. Yep. Bringing so, music news to kids on a Sunday lunchtime. Her and Jamie Theakston. What's Theakston up to these days? Let's find out. He spends, <laughs> spends all his time Googling what happened to Middlemas. He, not much, it seems. <laughs> oh, there we go. In July and August of 2013, that's three years ago, um, Theakston appeared along with Emma Bunton. And he presented this oh. morning summer and Friday mornings. 
and he's narrated episodes of Caught on Camera for ITV. So there you go. So is that like? Uh, oh, actually, yeah, he he does. I've heard him. Like, is he good? Is he as good as that guy uh, that does the American ones? It's like, what's this? Wrong. What's this guy doing? I mean, what's wrong here? This fool seems to think you can drive up the wrong side of the road. If there's one thing that this felon is about to find out, it's a crime doesn't pay. <laughs> or something along that kind of line. Um, Look at the state of this joker. He's just crashed into an electrical appliances shop. And he's now being sued for replacing all the windows. Well, I guess he's going to have to live life on a budget. Oh, boom. There you go. That's excellent. There we go. Well done. This man ate too much tikka masala and crashed into the shop next door. He won't be buying curries anymore. Oh, Rokotansky's on fire. I always think, (laughs) when you talk about that, I always think immediately of Brian Harvey munching his baked potato. Oh... You know that a friend of the the show, Mark, and friend of the show, Mick, actually took a pilgrimage to the spot where Brian Harvey ran himself over? Did they they drop a 40? (laughs) What does that even mean? I I don't know. I think it means... Oh, because Americans, they they sell liquids by weight. Yes, when you pour your 40-ounce drink into the gutter in in memory of your dead homies. But Brian Harvey's not dead. (laughs) He just might as well be. (laughs) Do you know that East 17 are still going? But the only two two remaining members are uh, Terry and... Uh Terry, Terry Caldwell and the the bald one. Yeah, so no... What, so I, there's no Tony Mortimer. Alec, Alec bald one. Yeah, right. <laughs> no Tony Mortimer Curious and choice. no Brian Harvey. Was Tony Mortimer was the brains behind it. He was, yeah. And, and then the, when they tried to do the reunion, there was actually there was a documentary made about East 17 trying to get back together. And Brian Harvey was really late for a meeting. Uh-huh. <laughs> and Tony Mortimer just punched them. It was like it was a really important meeting. It was something to do with possibly getting them a new record deal and everything and Brian Harvey just really annoyed Tony Mortimer. Did <laughs> like, I just ask, is your stomach rumbling at the present time? Like really, was, really loud? Did you hear my tummy rumble there? Yes. That was my tummy. This is this is property <laughs> right in action. Should I be coming round here with a food parcel for you? Yep. Actually, no, just more Iron Brew. So I'm only a few streets away. I could I could just easily jump in the car. Yep, only a few streets away. Just uh, never wants to be in my company. Yeah, I wouldn't be able to drive this evening, unfortunately. But Oh, uh, you've been on the gin. I've <laughs> been on the gin. Oh, Mother, no. Mother's ruin. You're going to end up crying at the end of this episode. <laughs> I usually save my tears for after the show. <laughs> <laughs> In a little glass. <laughs> then you drink them. Gives you yes. power. The power of frowning. There we go. So, Gil, have you watched anything exciting this week? Uh, Well, the series finale of Preacher, obviously. Uh-huh. And, well, the films that we're going to be discussing tonight, I've watched them both twice. 
Oh my goodness. Uh-huh. The good thing is these are quite short uh, flicks that you could quite easily just... Yeah. yeah no, no unmeasurable, unrelenting slog. <laughs> like some films can be. Yeah, like uh, that week that we're going to cover 2001 and Stalker. <laughs> and then uh, as for the third film, we'll do the Ten Commandments. Um, yeah. Yeah, that sounds like a really good, uh, good lineup. That actually does sound like a good lineup. It does. Let's make it happen. Apart from the Ten Commandments. Twelve hour shift. <laughs> I was talking about the Ten Commandments earlier on. Were you? I, uh-huh. I, do you know I've never seen it? I think it was just because, well, not the film, just the uh-huh. just the the Bible. So you you were on the mountain. Well, because we were watching Preacher. Uh huh. And we just had a very brief discussion about the Bible. Oh, okay. Exciting stuff. You think that's, that's the, the sort of thing that happens the, in this household? You think with a title that would kind of be more important? The Bible's very important. God's in it. <laughs> is, or he? is he? Is he? Well. So it's kind of like the Wizard of Oz. There's like some guy <laughs> sitting behind a big thing going, Oh, this is good speaking. But there is a Tom Waits song that does kind of sum uh-huh. up Preacher. But I won't spoil it because, you know, people really should just watch Preacher. Very cool. Very cool. And the um, fact is, Tom Waits has sung that many songs about religion that people can guess so many different songs <laughs> that might be right, might be wrong. Yeah. So, yeah, so... It's not part... a chocolate Jesus, though. I'll just say it's not chocolate Jesus. What the hell is chocolate Jesus? It sounds delicious, but I don't know what oh, it is. It doesn't. It's a, it's a Tom Waits song. Ah, there we go. Ah. I only really like Tom Waits when he's being covered by Rod Stewart. On the downtown train. On the downtown train. Uh, see, I did more Waitsy and you did more Rod Stewart. Yep. I could tell because I could hear you kicking that football at the same time. <laughs> Do you know he... Well, I don't, well, I better not say, I, did you know what, like, allegedly... Allegedly twat someone with that and caused them to be allegedly paralysed. What, was, was a football? Oh, uh-huh. was it like some uh, story where he, was, uh-huh, where he was sued because he twatted somebody with a football? Well, he did used to kick footballs into the crowd, so I mean, it doesn't seem that unbelievable, but the, the paralysed bit seems a bit... That does seem very unbelievable. Unbelievable, like the person was being <laughs> held in front of him and he, he was just going, I'm just going to put this full force right into your face. There you go. It was Mick Hucknell. <laughs> is that what happened to Mick Hucknell? That's is, yeah. He gets scurvy. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so yes, this week uh, we're 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 going to be talking about some quite quite light films. Um, so the, the lighthearted, yeah, two lighthearted movies that we've a seen. Donkey banter, a little bit of fun. Yep. Um, so the first one that we're going to discuss uh, is the animated feature the killing joke um which is an adaptation of the woman's autobiography yeah <laughs> but he talks all about the eighties <laughs> and how nirvana ripped them off yeah there's only 12 notes though um yeah but they are all in the correct order <laughs> that is the trick yeah and maybe <laughs> 
if you if you are going to just play the riff from eighties at a slightly slower tempo, and release that as your second single after having kind of stormed all the charts in the world, you know you're kind of making a rod for your own back, a rod Stewart for your own back. There we go on that bombshell. Um... <laughs> <laughs> On that topical uh, comment, Kurt Cobain said, "I need this lawsuit like I need a hole in the head." <laughs> so that that uh, when was that legal uh, that legal issue settled, girl? Remind me, twenty five years ago. Are we talking? Or... I don't think it was actually settled that long ago. Right. Okay. So I think it was one of those ones where it went on for a while, or just wasn't even raised for a while. Because see, if if you wrote a really recognisable riff. And then I went out and became really famous with that recognisable riff. Would you sue me straight away, or would you wait until I'd clearly been Clean, cleaned up, raking in the money? There you go. Um, obviously the the mad thing is that the guy that wrote the song "Come On, People Now Smile on Your Brother" that one, he's got probably more right to royalties. From Nevermind than Chris and Novoselic has. I don't know if it's exactly more, but he's he's at least got a writing credit on that song, which I don't think Chris actually has. Well, maybe he didn't write any of it. Yeah, but it was always I don't know. But they changed the changed the writing credits after the fact, I believe. Anyway, well, that's that is what happens because uh, Carter the Unstoppable Sex Machine had a, a song that used uh, Goodbye Ruby Tuesday as part uh-huh. of the chorus. And that was quite a, a successful single for them. Mm-hmm. And then Andrew Lee Goldham, the mm-hmm. Rolling Stones manager, who is incredibly litigious. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sued, he sued them. Like, Andrew Lee Goldham is the... Like, any time you hear about somebody being sued for sampling the Rolling Stones... It's not the Rolling Stones that are suing them. It's Andrew Lee Goldham because he bought all their like publishing rights mm. and everything. And as a result, that song was left off the forthcoming album, but does appear on like the greatest hits and stuff like that. But it does have like the Jagger Richards credit in the writing now. Mm. And apparently, as part of the the court settlement, they sent checks directly to uh, Mick and Keith, mm. who then just never cashed them. Oh. So and Andrew Lee Oldham basically sues people on the behalf of people that don't give a shit. Mental. Yeah. And the other one is obviously the famous one's uh, Battle Street Symphony, isn't it? Yeah, because that... Uh, was a sample of it was like, a, it's like an orchestral a, arrangement or yeah something. Something it was with... well it was the the song though but somebody had done this uh kind of orchestral versions of the rolling stones hits in the 70s and they'd sampled a certain amount of it and then a court went yeah, well, I suppose it's like the basis for the entire song, even though it wasn't an incredibly long section that they'd sampled. But 
they I, I think they basically get nothing mm. for that now because it all comes down to your your publishing rights. Yeah, I believe I believe they get virtually nothing from it, if not nothing. Yeah, so I guess that you know Mick Jagger and Keith Richards will actually get paid for after the watershed because of being writers on it. Sure. But in the for the check settlement, they never cash the checks. Very cool. How did we get onto this? <laughs> I have no idea. Okay, uh, guys, so what we'll do is we'll have a short break and then we'll return uh, to discuss the DC Universe original movie, Batman the Killing Joke. We'll be back after this. Looking for something different in your podcast library? Then why not check out the podcast Under the Stairs? I'm the host Duncan McLeish and joining me each week will be a special guest as we examine some classic old school horror favourites as well as some modern classics. That's not to say that we don't tackle some of the, let's say, more questionable entries into the horror genre. And if all that wasn't enough, we have a subset of shows called Baz V Horror, where our horror novice, The Baz, tackles horror in all shapes and forms to see who will come out victorious. So what are you waiting for? The show can be found at podcastunderthestairs.wordpress.com and on Stitcher and iTunes. The Podcast Under the Stairs is a proud member of Legion Podcast Network. This is Duncan McLeish from Under the Stairs, signing off. Okay, guys, and we're back to discuss Batman, The Killing Joke. Um, released 2016. Um, it's the limited theatrical release so far um, throughout View Cinemas. Um, and is due for release on August the 8th. It um was directed by Sam Liu um and written uh well uncredited uh by Alan Moore yeah. um and uh Brian Boland and then I think we've got Brian Azarello, the comic writer, is credited um as the writer. Well, which I thought was quite strange but presumably worked in the, screenplay. The first, the first half hour. Ah, okay, so that makes sense. Okay, so that's like that is a good a good chunk of the the story. So that's yeah, it's fair play. Seventy six minutes. Uh huh. But I, ones, which isn't a hell of a lot of time. Yeah. Uh huh. So um, it stars obviously uh, Mark Hamill, who's reprising his role uh, as the Joker for the last time again. Oh wow! Okay. Because he said the. One of the previous films had kind of it taken so much out of his voice that he wasn't going to do the Joker again unless they did the Killing Joke. But then he has also participated in the Arkham games, okay, as the Joker, where he's he's very good as usual. Mm-hmm. And Kevin Conroy is Batman in those as well. Uh huh. Okay. Um. And obviously, Ray Wise is uh, Commissioner Gordon. Yep. Um uh Brian George as Alfred and others Tara um, Strong. Tara Strong, of course. Barbara. Yeah, so that's the other main person in it. Um so Gil, um the 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 if this is an animated feature, um it's based off of the 
1980, when would it be, 1985? Or when was... 1988. 1988. Yep. Uh, book, Killing Joke, um, which is revealed as one of the kind of darkest um, stories in Batman's... Although, although Batman's not as revered ever. as it used to be. Well, it's, it is revered as one of the darker ones, but it's not... I think its popularity is somewhat on a downshift now, maybe with newer readers. Okay. Why is that? Why do you think? Uh, maybe for the the reasons that Alan Moore highlights, which is that it's not as strong a story as it could have been. Okay. I mean, he, he has said several times that he doesn't think it's a particularly great story. But, I mean, see, in 1988, reading that is, like, because I, well, it wouldn't have been 88 that I read it, probably more about 1990 Mm -hmm. that I'd have read it. So I'd have been 13, Mm -hmm. and it's considerably darker in tone than a lot of the Batman stuff that Mm -hmm. I'd read at that point. And these days, I think there has been so many more things released that are just a slightly darker edge uh-huh. that are just maybe a wee... See, I don't want to say anything bad about The Killing Joke because I do still love it, but I can see exactly what the the flaws that people consider it to have are. And mm-hmm. in some ways they're right, but in other ways you're like, well, you know, this is... It's not recent. Some things we have to look at as of their time. Yeah, I, I, I still think this is a, an important story. And I mean, the, the, I suppose when I was trying to, I suppose my, my kind of intro, introduction to Batman was far later, other than the kind of animated series uh, when I was younger, and I only really saw bits and pieces of that. Mm. Um, my kind of introduction was really through the the movies, Christopher Nolan movies, um, particularly the Dark Knight, and after the Dark Knight, recent, yeah, absolutely. I'm I mean, I, I, yeah, I was not particularly a Batman fan growing up. I was an X Men fan, um, mm-hmm. but in terms of Batman, you like the spandex, right? I, I suppose no. When I think when I think about it, I suppose I loved like uh, the Tim Burton one, and yeah, yeah. So I mean, from that side, it's, I suppose I'm kind of thinking about it more for the comics side. But I mean, I loved. You know the, the the two Batman films, uh, Batman and Batman Begins. Never any other films. After yeah, I never really got into any of the others. Like um, I saw Batman Forever, but it wasn't particularly first. And then I never saw. I think I'd kind of grown out of it by the time because because the way the Joel Schumacher film went, it was kind of oh, it was awful. It was in a particular direction, and I was just like not interested in following Down that line. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I enjoyed those, but I never really took up any of the comics per se. Um, so after seeing The Dark Knight and thinking that this was, you know, one of the best films I'd seen in in a long time, and I still think it's an incredible film, and I don't think you'll get as strong a portrayal of the Joker from anyone. Um, I think, you know, I think he's he's uh, Ledger, and it. it was incredible. Um, and it was nice to see uh, the wee homage uh, to. Heath Ledger in this film as well. Um, I don't know if you saw that, but there was a wee... just the the line where they they did. No, the... no, there was a there was a um image of different images of the Joker from across 
time, and they had pictures oh. of the Jack Nicholson Joker, and they yeah. had a picture of the Heath Slater Joker. But it was the same, the same Heath Joker. Slater? Oh, Heath Ledger. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> I love Heath Slater. Um, <laughs> what old ginger social outcast? Um, Heath Slater, but no, <laughs> uh, the Heath Ledger Joker. Um, which I thought was great when Batman was reviewing uh, images of the Joker. Um, but yeah, no, th- at that point I kind of went back and then started reading some classic stories and one of the first ones that I picked up was The Killing Joke, so I suppose I've kind of got a wee bit of... Um, because I, I really loved it and because it was Alan Moore, um, I had heard quite a lot about his work and I really wanted to check that out. Yeah. So... Um, I just love how dark it is and how psychologically dark it is. I don't think, you know, I, I know that other other comics have dealt with that, but I think it's such a such a dark subject matter. Where, I mean, one of the, basically to, to to give give uh, your, you know yourselves an idea of what the story is if you've know it, um, if you've know, read it or watched watched the film yet, um, it's it's basically uh, the the Joker's revenge on uh well not so much even a revenge it's, it's not more, even revenge it's, it's more it's more trying to make trying a point to, trying to make a point that anyone in the circumstances and have after having a bad day can turn into uh him and that anyone yeah. can be can be like him and he it's a, it's takes the same point that Heath Ledger's trying to make mm-hmm. which is that anyone can become that sort of person it, it just comes down to circumstances. I mean, you like even in the Killing Joke, he he says, well, Joker says, sometimes I remember it this way, sometimes I remember it differently. I prefer my my history to well, I prefer my past to be multiple choice, which I absolutely love because and, there's been so many, so many different character people portraying them, and so many different origin stories. Also, yeah. that was a great line. But also in uh, the Dark Knight, uh-huh. he gives so, like diff- three different, different stories. origin yeah, yeah. stories for himself. Yep. So yeah, which one's paying homage to the other? Well, th- that line was in the original book. Uh-huh. That line's in the original book, but the multi- the multiple choice element is in there. Yeah, but if you go into the IMDb trivia uh-huh. section, it says the the Killing Joke is paying tribute to the Dark Knight. Because of that line. That's so, not true. See, if you go in... You know what I really like about the IMDb trivia section? Uh-huh. Anyone can add to it. It's it's <laughs> not official. It's, uh-huh. It is crowdsourced. Uh-huh. So, I mean, well... This was released in 1988, so this isn't... I, yeah, I don't really no, consider no. this something that we can really spoiler because well oh. if you haven't read it i mean but also it doesn't really matter there's there's people that are currently arguing about whether or not batman kills the joker hmm. and that kind of stems from a grant morrison interview that just keeps getting brought up again and again where it's like grant morrison's going oh if you look like the in the last two panels of the comic, there's no laughter when they've been laughing before that, and that's because he's killed the Joker. And in this version, the Joker does stop laughing. Yeah. Uh-huh. When even when Batman's still laughing, but then if you if you look at what Alan Moore said about it, 
he said, no, of course he doesn't kill him because Commissioner Gordon says I want him brought in by the book. Yep, absolutely. You know, if if he'd killed the Joker at the end, then that's that means that the Joker has won. But the continuity from the Killing Joke, even though a lot of people look at the Killing Joke as a standalone graphic novel, mm-hmm. it did carry over into the other comics because uh, I can't remember who it was that that came up with Oracle, but they came up with Oracle based on oh uh-huh, yeah that they that they hated the. Alan Moore had, with permission from DC, like, uh-huh. like said, can I have the Joker paralyze Barbara Gordon? Ah, uh-huh. so I mean that's so, that's really the the kind of one of the darkest elements of this is that early on in the Killing Joke, obviously in the the film, there's a there's a half hour segment that I I thoroughly enjoyed and I thought was absolutely excellent in establishing the characters in a way that the book doesn't really do. Um, particularly, it's just a one shot. It's not supposed to do that. But as someone who's not really had that kind of uh, background on the characters, I really appreciated having that half hour to get to know the mm. relationship between uh, Barbara Gordon and, and Batman. And But that's a relationship that they put into this, though. It's not really a relationship from the comics of the time. Right, okay, okay. They have the same outcome. Sure. I suppose, because... At the end of the half hour that they add to this, mm-hmm. she retires as Batgirl. But a couple of months before The Killing Joke was released, there was a Batgirl special ah. that was released where she was being haunted by dreams of... Oh, I can't remember who it was, but she's having dreams about somebody that she had a previous encounter with. Uh-huh. And then they murder somebody in the library where she works. Uh-huh. And then there's a whole thing. I mean, people should go back and read it. I actually don't want to spoil it too much. Cool. And I've not read it in quite a while, but at the end of that, she retires. Cool. So in the original Killing Joke, Barbara Gordon uh-huh. isn't Batgirl anyway. So uh-huh, sure. They, they just get her to the same point in this. Yep. But I I think that they could have done it differently by maybe... Because I, I don't think it really fits as well because you get this kind of fast-paced, action-y bit at the start of The Killing Joke. I mean, halfway like halfway through this opening, basically just call it a prologue. Because uh-huh. it's... I mean, the, the Killing Joke, most people would have been surprised if they'd been able to make something longer than 45 minutes out uh-huh, of it. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. And it turns out that they couldn't make something longer than 45 minutes out of it, so they added an extra half hour. And halfway through it, the Batmobile gets blown up. Yep. But then, as soon as the killing joke starts, which basically is shown to be kind of kicking off, like, the night after... Uh-huh. I mean, Batman's got the Batmobile again, because, well, you know, it's in the panels for the killing joke. Uh-huh. Unless they're going like, oh, well, he's, I mean, he's got loads of them. <laughs> you know, that one got blown up, but, you know, he can just turn up in an identical car the next day. That, yeah. That did annoy me a little bit. Uh-huh. I, I don't know. I liked the first half of it because I felt that it kind of gave not just the character uh, Paris Franz, who's <laughs> basically this... Um, 
It's an awful name, isn't it? It's pretty funny. I thought it was quite cool. It's just a nickname, right? It wasn't his yeah, full name. Was it Perry Francesco? Fr- Fr- Francesco. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's the nephew of a, a crime lord who basically, um, basically is trying to take over his uncle's um, business through technology and through brutal murder. Um, and throughout, he becomes obsessed with uh, Barbara Gordon uh, and as Batgirl after they meet. And starts Even... kind of starts kind of playing with her and toying with her in some way. Uh-huh. Um, there's a slightly creepy. Bit. There's quite a few slightly creepy well, bits. The the bit with the prostitute, yeah, yeah, the prostitute they that they had to <laughs> they had to cut up a pillowcase. Yep. To make like a bat, well, actually looks more like a Batman cowl. Uh huh. So basically, the he the, the implication is that he has paid this prostitute to dress like Batgirl, um, and obviously there's a part where, but I mean, that's very sinister. I mean, there's there's like there's there's one attempt to rape and one probable rape within the the within the uh, film. So this is a there's not a probable rape though. I don't think. Well, they I mean, very very I think very they, heavy, they insinuate very it heavy too heavily. Insinuate. In, in this because I never like all the times that I read the killing joke I never thought that the Joker had raped Barbara Gordon no but I always and, thought and... that he had just stripped her because he he strips Commissioner Gordon mm-hmm. and then shows him pictures of her injured and naked and I, I just I always thought that that was more to do with the the vulnerability mm-hmm. side of things rather than insinuating that there was an actual rape. But now in this that I don't remember from the killing joke, there's a prostitute says, well, usually when he escapes, he comes straight to us. It's almost like he's found another girl or something. Yeah, I, um, I just thought that's like, seriously, every time the Joker escapes from Arkham, the first thing in his mind is I have to go and see a prostitute. Yeah, I would say that's very out of character, but I think that what it was what it was doing was establishing that or trying to establish that. But yeah, but the only thing that that really establishes is the idea that the the Joker then goes on to rape her. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Is that that's what it's uh, establishing? But I think that that's one of the things that would have been added by Brian Azarel. Yep. Because I don't remember. No, that definitely wasn't. There was, there was never that. That uh, I think, I, th- I think a lot of the time this is um, it kind of straddles a line, uh, to be honest. And I, it definitely does because I, I read a message board about it, and the two most contentious parts of this film mm-hmm. are that mm-hmm. and the insinuate well it's not insinuated it's it's shown that batman and batgirl grown mm-hmm. yep so a lot of people are quite unhappy with that to the point where somebody posted a brilliant thing where they'd looked at the here's the the history of these characters as they would exist within this particular timeline of DC, there's only 11 years age difference between them. 
Sure. He's, he's 35, she's 24, because there are all these people going. But it says Batgirl, so is she not meant to be really young? It's like, well, no, because the, the whole... If you go back and read all the stuff, but then also if you look at Batman Beyond... Uh-huh. Batman got Batgirl pregnant. Uh-huh. At one point, Dick Grayson was furious and had a fight with Batman, but at the exact same time, Batgirl was fighting a criminal and mm-hmm. is basically shown to miscarry at the end of that issue. It's quite bleak. Uh-huh. I mean, when I started reading Batman in the early 90s, it was detective comics and stuff like that. Sure, like, yeah, yeah. Oh, here he is fighting Clayface, and then I'd pick up things like the the Frank Miller books and the killing joke and it sure it definitely seemed like these were more standalone things out with that but I guess that was probably just naivety on my part at the time because as we still have today there's multiple different Batman storylines that, oh, that's that. that go on and it just depends I mean you can you can read them all and there will be different tones within each one. Sure. Sure. So, yeah, I, th- I thought it was thoroughly, thoroughly good. And I, I would, um, I, I, the, the interesting thing about this, I suppose, is that it's kind of maintained the same kind of artistic style as kind of Saturday morning cartoon. That's the bit that I wasn't as happy with. Really? I, I like yeah. that. I thought it was good. There's totally yeah, uh, I loved the fact that it was that voice cast quite coming back, but uh-huh. then at the well, I suppose you can look at it as oh, it's it's quite subversive to be telling the killing joke using the using the language. the animated yeah. style of like Batman the animated series. Yep. Whereas when it came to the idea of there being a killing joke animated movie. I'd always hoped that they would have gone for that slightly darker, just if they'd maybe pushed it more towards the visual style of the the comic. And apparently somebody has actually started to to work on recolouring it. Oh, Jesus. To to make it look, because it does look darker, Mm. to be honest. I mean, like the... When it pans down to puddles in this, they're they're kind of grey blue, mm-hmm. whereas in the other one they're more of a black blue. Yeah. And I mean, like the the Joker was more modelled on the Man Who Laughs. Yeah, the Conrad Veidt. Yep. Whereas in this, he's he is just the Batman the animated series Joker, mm. and I I thought it would have been. I just hoped that maybe DC had pushed because now it's it's R rated. Mm-hmm. That if they'd gone well, let's make this kind of standalone. And the idea that Batman and Batgirl have sex in this, mm-hmm. I mean, is this going to be the end for this particular? Because Mark Hamill said that he's not going to come back to do any more Joker. Uh huh. But then, I mean, he's he's famous for changing his mind on that. If somebody yeah. goes, here's a 
here's the story. Well, yeah, maybe I will. But well, I was I reading that, that he had specifically said that the only way he would come back was to do an adaptation of the Killing Joke. Yep, I mean he he'd been saying that for ages, and now uh-huh. they've done it. I mean, is he actually going to say that's it? I'm done, mm-hmm. and now that they've they've gone right, Batman and Batgirl have sex in this, but there's a I don't know if you actually watched the credits. There's a mid credit scene. I saw the mid credit scene where she became Oracle. Ah, uh-huh. yep, but. I mean, where's that going to leave the relationship between her and Bruce Wayne? Mm-hmm. That's the the thing that the the whole sex scene makes a bit awkward. Is I mean, if they're are they going to try and do any adaptations of stories that came after that? And if they are, how are they going to work that in? Mm. Or are they just going to dismiss it? Because it's. It's it's really awkward, but I mean, basically they have sex. The Joker attacks her and cripples her, mm-hmm. and you know, isn't there a story that should come after that? Isn't there like something rather than it just being left? Mm-hmm. Because she's trying to... I mean, she says that he's dismissive towards her after they've had sex. Oh, uh-huh, yeah. And Which, then yeah, that was really odd. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's like, how how is that meant to play out? And how do you... How do you actually follow that through without it just being incredibly awkward? Do you know what I mean? It just yeah, seems no, I like, do, I do, I do. It yeah. seems like the, the wrong storyline for them to, to put that relationship into and the way that they've done it, it now just seems like, oh, what, what are you going to follow up with? <laughs> Again, I think, I think it, Kind of or am I overthinking it? No, I think I think a wee I think a wee bit, but I think you, at the same time it's it's that level of emotional complexity that that you get in a film like this. Um, it's I think it's particularly jarring with this the art style as well. Um, and I think that that's possibly one of the things that the, the th- first thirty minutes failed to really achieve was you know this. They they almost tried, they, they almost presented as with something too complicated to be dealt with within the time scale that was available. Yeah, and that relationship between Batman and Barbara Gordon was was just. It's that. a thirty second cut to remove that. Mm. That's that's all it takes, and it would make the film still work, but to to be less complicated. Uh huh. Sure. I I I don't think that's I don't think that's necessarily what makes it complicated. I think I I don't think it should be removed. I just think it's it's very difficult to to move on from. It's very difficult to move on from it. If that's the only reason why I, I think and, that it's awkward. Yeah, and particularly with the the way that the story uh, changes, obviously as a result of this particular storyline. 
it kind of mm. it means that there's no way that the arc can continue because she's pretty much in a coma right until the end, um, or kind of passed out and yeah. be be intended to, and he's uh, Batman's away trying to save Commissioner Gordon from this. Um, I mean, one of the big set pieces in this, and obviously the the part that's the most important element of this, is that the Joker has has bought over uh, this amusement park and has turned it into a turned it basically into a torture chamber um, to try to drive Commissioner Gordon crazy. Yeah. Um, so Batman is entering this uh, this world to try and save Commissioner Gordon, and at the same time, Barbara Gordon's in a hospital for the majority of it, um, having had her spine severed by the Joker's bullet. Yeah, and so I mean, you know, there, there isn't really space in that story for much character progression or from anything to really be resolved in terms of their relationship. Um, so again, it, it, the, there's questions to be asked about whether it's whether that's, whether that's necessary. Well, I don't think the I don't think there's anything more they could have done. I, I mean, well, I really the first I really... half hour is is probably about meant to be about a week in real time, uh-huh. and the last forty five minutes is one night. Uh huh. And I, again, I think you can kind of you, you can skip through. I, th- I think that the story skips through quite a lot and and does does the first thirty minutes really really well, but I just think that the emotional complexity of that kind of falters because the story falters. But uh, you know that the car does it. But does it falter or does it just get to a point where it goes right now? We're going to tell you the killing joke because I mean, that's like, because that's it, what they need to do. That yeah. So I mean, could you? Would, so, you, uh, would you find it more satisfying to have just watched the last 45 minutes of this and gone, no, oh, that's a good ad- adaptation of The Killing Joke? No, because because the emotional weight at the start makes it worthwhile. But it's just the, the way that that uh, relationship is played out where you have the, the sex scene and then Batman is cold to her and the, the relationship just kind of stalls for no reason. She's being ignored. And you, you're kind of left thinking, who is this guy? And why is he, why is he behaving like this? Yeah, is why is because, Batman being a dick? <laughs> is it because he cares? Well, there's a theme we'll come back to. But um, you're, you're, you're sitting thinking, you know, why are we getting this level of emotional complexity when we know that in five minutes' time, we're not going to get any resolution from this. Yeah. Um, so it's it's as much as I enjoyed and and I felt that the Barbara Gordon situation gave it weight. That was never really properly resolved. Um, One scene, that's all they needed. But they they went for the like the killing joke starts off with the an image of raindrops into a puddle, mm-hmm. and then ends with raindrops in a puddle. So. When they come to the killing joke section of the film, uh-huh. they they go wait. Let's have the raindrops bookends because that's how it should be. Ah. But the the half hour prologue, uh-huh. shouldn't that even have just had a five minute thing or even just a two minute conversation? Like like after he's saved Jim, uh-huh. he goes back to the hospital to check on her. Yeah, something, Absolutely. and maybe explains yeah. to her that. It's not that he's being distant to her because he doesn't want there to be a relationship. 
but that maybe the events of that night, that's the sort of thing that he has to deal with all the time. And that when he'd been saying to her earlier on, like regarding Paris, France, uh-huh. that you're not on this case anymore, that this was exactly the sort of thing that he was trying to protect her from because he has feelings for her, uh-huh. but because things like that can come up that always affect people that he has feelings for, that's exactly why he can't pursue. Like, oh, I'm sorry, I can't bone you on a rooftop again because you might get hurt even more than you've already been, even though you've just been shot through the spine. That's all they fucking needed. Then maybe people wouldn't be going so mental on message boards with multiple people going, well... You know, he got her pregnant years ago and you weren't complaining then. Yeah. Okay, so that was the killing joke. Um, we'll have a short break there. No, and... what? because uh, remember, I got you to watch two other things purely because of the killing joke. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, uh-huh. just remind me, you cost me £3.50 and then what? you infected my computer with... <laughs> K-like codec pack. All sorts of nonsense. Um, it seems to be making lots of changes to my uh, computer. But yes, never it's mind. It's your Facebook cheerier. <laughs> How so? It's, is it posting things in my behalf? Uh, it's, 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 it's posting all these... Yovo. Like, hashtag yeah, Yovo. Yep. <laughs> Click here for my pics. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. There we go. But yeah, that was uh, two episodes of South Park. Two episodes of South Park. That you, that... One from uh, season five. Uh-huh, yes. And one from, I think, season 14. Uh-huh. That being yeah. Scott Tenorman Must Die. Yes. And 201. Yeah, so one which I was able to... Uh... One which I was able to buy from Amazon. Um, <laughs> and then another one which... You was <laughs> which yeah, which I thought I was able to buy from Amazon, but they've changed the number in, so I bought the wrong one. <laughs> did you actually buy two hundred? Yeah, I bought two hundred. Yeah, that it's good, isn't it? It's really good. Ah, uh-huh. I really then, liked it. Oh yeah, I didn't want to say watch three episodes of South Park because one of them didn't have any relationship to Scott Tenorman Must Die, really. Yeah, no, but... it was it was very good. Um. So it's good to go back to. Uh, I remembered the ending of Scott Turner. As soon as the film, the the show started, I kind of remembered what the ending was. But it was uh, still brilliant. I really dug uh-huh. it. Um, do, do you not think that they did a slightly better animation job? Oh yeah, that was really of fun. The the killing joke. <laughs> yeah, that was really references good. at the end. I mean, uh-huh. after watching, yep. yeah, after watching the the killing joke. I went back and watched that episode and I I did end up thinking why didn't they just get South Park Studios to make the killing joke? Because Scott Tenorman <laughs> sitting and it it looked so much better than DC's realisation of the killing joke. Uh-huh. It looked more killing joke than killing joke. Yeah, no, it was very fun. It's very fun. Um... Yeah, it's a very controversial uh, episode. <laughs> Which one? 
Just all uh, of them. Two, two or one. My goodness. Super, super best friends. Yeah, yeah. My goodness. But and what I liked about that is that those episodes are actually separated by nine years. Yeah. So nobody was really expecting the return of Scott Tenorman. There we go. Okay. Um, okay, guys. So we'll have a short break there, and then we'll be back to discuss uh, Batman versus Super Batman v Superman. Rather, it's not a versus yes. film. This is uh, this is what your man, your 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 boy uh, Snyder Snyder's saying about it. He's saying, "Listen, it's Round not these parts." It calls him Snyder. It's not a versus film. It's a V film. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's Batman V Superman. He also said it was a tribute to V for Vendetta. It, well, we'll get on to some tributes to Alan Moore. Uh-huh. So, as we discuss it. So Batman V Superman Dawn of Justice. The extended edition. It's extended. Yes. That means it's, it's better. It's, it's R-rated. See, as far as... Which means that, it's only suitable for pirates. Longer is better. <laughs> well. It's the jokes, the, are, the jokes write themselves. Don't, don't yeah. dignify that. It's, it's not the size of your pencil. It's how you write your name. Exactly. <laughs> I can't pick my pencil up. I heard that. Yeah. Heard that. It's too wee. I know. <laughs> it's just... It's a bit too wee. You said like car. This is like right. Yeah, so that was a whiskey and brandy ball. I thought it was your impression it's of a, uh, it's a bit too wee or fichotchis. <laughs> oh, it's a wee bit too warm here. I'm wearing factor five hundred and forty because I'm from Scotland and I'm somewhere that doesn't appear to have clouds. a spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favourite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Kid Radio. Hear your host, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favourite classics and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher, or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Price, and Joel Hodson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the HP Lovecraft Film Festival. Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and the head of Rondo Hatton, only on Monster Kid Radio. Okay, guys, and we're back to discuss Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, the box office flop that made a meager 0.9 billion dollars. Um, real, real failure there. Everyone should be embarrassed that's involved in it. Yep. Um, so uh, it was uh, directed by Zachary Schneider, Um and it was uh, written by Chris Terrio and David S. Goyer. I wonder how much Goyer was involved in it. Um, do you know he, Gil, he, brought, he brought the cheese. He did. He did. Um, stars uh, Ben Affleck. Uh, Batfleck. Batfleck. Uh, Henry Cavill as Superman. Amy Adams. Um, Jesse Eisenberg. Um, Diane Lane. 
Orange Fishburne, Jeremy Irons, Holy Hunter, and Gal Gadot, with music by um, Hans Zimmer and Junkie and, XL. And Junkie XL. Junkie XL. Or JXL, as he is now known. Or Junkathan XL, as his mum calls him. <laughs> yeah, JXL. Uh-huh. Like if you see No, if you... it was just JXL for the Elvis thing. Because they didn't want because he's he's a state, wasn't he? Wasn't he chuffed with the J word being next to his name? Have you not heard like the, the early junkie XL stuff like Saturday Teenage Kicks? No, I haven't. No, that is pretty he was very good. Like like pop punk new metal. Really? Uh huh. Well, that seems yeah. awful. Oh, that's just that's how I describe it to you. Is it kind of like, like what would Granddad think? Is it like pitch shifter? Uh, no, it's it's upbeat. Well, it's probably more like uh, you remember Fat? No. Who did Downtime? No. Right, let's let's move just, on very yeah. swiftly. Eighteen months after Superman's destructive battle with General Zod in Metropolis, Superman has become a controversial figure. Daily Planet reporter Clark Kent, aka Superman's spo- spoilerific alter ego, has moved in. <laughs> what? What? I thought that Henry Cavill was doing two roles in this. That's that. Um, has moved in with. Lois Lane. Bruce Wayne, who has operated in Gotham City as the vigilante Batman, and it's inverted commas, which is quite funny, for nearly two years, sees Batman, sees Superman as a potential threat to humanity. After learning of Batman's activities, Clark views Batman as a threat and seeks to stop him via Daily Planet archives. Wayne learns that Russian weapons trafficker Anatoly Kiryev has been contact- has been contacting Lex Corps mogul Lex Luthor. Meanwhile, Luthor tries to persuade Senator June Finch to allow him to import kryptonite retrieved from the Indian Ocean following the results of Zod's terraforming attempt claiming to use it as a deterrent against Kryptonians, but she denies the request. Right, so that's... It's action-packed, as you yeah, can Yeah, that, that sounds very boring. So, um, basically, Jesse Eisenberg is trying to get the two to, fa- to fight, and it's just... That's like, a massive spoiler. It's like him standing... That is a massive spoiler, but you can see the theatrical release. Uh-huh. That was not made clear. All right, okay. Should there I, were actually... Go there... Should I go no, back? No, don't go back. Zod it. It's been out for ages. Everybody Zod it. Zod it. Ev- yeah, generals. Kneel before Zod it. Ev- everybody's... And plus it was in the advert. This. In the uh, advert, he says, it's the greatest gladiator match in history. Yeah, but uh, the idea that he masterminded it all was uh-huh. kind of edited out of the theatrical release. The I don't know if it's an option on the, the Blu-ray or the DVD to watch... It just as the theatrical release, which is half an hour shorter. But, I don't think so. But see, when see you watch it. it, there's actually scenes... Well, there's... There are a few scenes where just key sentences have been removed. Oh, really? Uh, like, uh, also, at the at the start of this film, the first time that we get to see 
Superman kicking off and doing his thing. Uh-huh. KG Beast has got like this crew of his that are kicking about, supposedly kind of helping some sort of terrorist group. Oh yes, uh-huh. some somewhere in Africa. Uh huh. And then suddenly betray them all, shoot them all, pile them up, and then set fire to them. Which doesn't really make a lot of sense. And then it cuts to a woman who's saying, oh, he came from the sky and then everybody was dead and on fire and shit like that. It makes it seem like they're they're framing Superman, mm. that he's come down, battered all these guys, piled them up and then used his heat ray, his heat ray vision to slaughter them all. That's yep. not in the theatrical release. Oh, really? That whole thing about them all being set on fire. Huh. That is how much of the actual plot of the film was cut out for what I can only recognize. That seems like, quite a, that seems like, that, quite that's like the main thing. part. Uh-huh. But also, the I think, the, the fact that so many just individual lines... Like there's even there's a bit at the end of the film where Lex Luthor basically admits that because they they don't explain the meta human thesis uh-huh. really all that much, but in this version because Lex Luthor basically goes oh yeah Superman you're Clark Kent you're Kal El and everything on no, Batman you're Bruce Wayne you're like well Lex Luthor appears to have severely done his homework. Mm-hmm. Which maybe explains why Jesse Eisenberg plays him as a really annoying and cocky bastard all the way throughout. So supposedly he based this performance on Max Landis, you know, the writer and uh, the son of John Landis, who's written, mm-hmm. um, kind of famous for writing about the death of Superman and death and return of Superman, and also about re- writing about wrestling. Um, and trying to do several pitches on YouTube. He's quite a kind of charismatic guy, um, and he... But very, overly cocky. Very, very cocky guy, and he's got into quite a bit of trouble for different things that he's said that have just been, you know, a wee bit beyond the pale. It's, it's that kind of... He's he's quite a... The, 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 he's, he's what you would say was quite an addictive personality. He's got quite a... You you kind of want to watch him because he's got yeah. a very interesting way of speaking, and he is a good storyteller. Um, so he's, and, he's and like us. He's, he basically portrays that character, um, Rat Large, and yeah, so, I dug it, man. I dug it, and uh, I, I like. So is that like meta character development? Possibly, possibly, That's, and people hate him for that, but maybe. Some people would have watched that going, is he, is he doing a Max Landis? Is he? <laughs> I'll even send you, I'll send you a picture because he looks pretty similar to, to Max Landis all the way through the film, to be fair. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, sorry, I annoyingly jumped too far ahead. But I mean, the, like the, the thing with this edition of the film is that you do actually find out that Lex Luthor has masterminded absolutely everything because... If people listen back to the older episodes where I'd seen the theatrical release, 
and I said that there's a whole plot line, the whole plot line about the like Holly Hunter and the import license. I was uh-huh. like, I have no idea why that's in there because the the bit of kryptonite gets brought to the com- country anyway. Mm-hmm. So you know, why do they bother with this? Well, all the the explanation for that is basically cut out because the only reason that he appears to involve Holly Hunter's senator character is so that he can kind of pressure her surreptitiously into putting together a hearing where Superman will be kind of pleaded to actually appear. And then when he does appear, this other character that Lex Luthor has also been manipulating will be sitting there with a wheelchair that's got a bomb in it. I don't even think that the lead-lined wheelchair was... I think that was excised from the theatrical cut. Huh. As well. It's all just... The theatrical cut is very, very messy. And you walk away from the theatrical cut going, I really don't understand what a lot of the plot threads were. Okay, right. And I, I genuinely, having seen this, think that it was down to the idea that if you've got a two and a half hour film and your cinema is open for a certain number of hours per day, sure, then you get more screenings than if you've if you're showing a three hour film. But I don't think that they'd taken into consideration that if you're removing so much of the plot that in the theatrical release you don't even see Clark Kent investigating Batman. Mm. Okay, right. That's like that's a major thing. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. To the overall plot is that the fact that these two characters are kind of dancing about each other with extreme mistrust. Uh-huh. And the Batman has only become more extreme in his ways because he's trying to find out about this Superman uh-huh. who he sees as being, well, it, I suppose he genuinely sees him as being the massive threat that somebody like that would be. He definitely does, and it brings to mind the Mark Wade book um, from a few years ago, uh, Irredeemable which was about a super uh superman level superhero turning bad and basically becoming you know getting these delusions of grandeur and becoming a god um and part of batman's hallucinations that he is getting um i don't know whether that whether one of the one of the interesting things girl just to go back to jump around a wee bit is that he, rece- <laughs> he receives a Insert house of pain sample here yeah yeah just jump around a wee bit um he he receives obviously the the file from uh lex and then starts hallucinating do you think that was do you think something was done to him to make him hallucinate that and to to see the appearance of the wally west flash that that happens halfway through and uh, then, the, then hallucination about the oh, the is that kinda, hallucination. Well, the 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 fascistic Superman, or is that an alternate reality? Because we get to see um a, a number of kind of troops with 
Superman uh, swastikas on uh, or insignias on there. Yeah, um, like in, in the position of swastikas yeah. and some Superman logos. But also then we get uh, Dark Sides We Flying Beasties mm. suddenly appear in that as well. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. And at the same see- time, he's, he's uh, there in the middle of a desert where when you first see this, well, a lot of people refer to it as a dream sequence, uh-huh. but maybe it's not, who knows? Maybe it is like a, a future flash sure. from some sort of thing to do with the flash. Cause is, if you look at that as being, is it real or not? Then you also, you've got like the first appearance of the, the flash in the DC cinematic universe mm-hmm. is Bruce Wayne hallucinating and before he knows that Ezra Miller is the Flash mm-hmm. he's hallucinating Ezra Miller's face yeah that is a bit so mad. yeah so, and he's saying you were always right about him but he says you were always right about him mm-hmm. which him does he mean I mean mm-hmm. it, as you watch this film play out you you think oh it's meant to be Superman? What if it's what if it is Lex Luthor? Because he mentions that he's a bit wary of Lex Luthor anyway. Uh-huh. At one point during the film, so maybe it is Lex Luthor that the Flash is talking. About. So basically, if you're traveling back in time to give somebody a message, be specific. So be specific. Don't be a dick. Absolutely. Uh huh. But yeah, he also sees a giant Omega symbol carved uh-huh. into the desert. Which is of course Dark Side's symbol. And then we get other Dark Side references in the extended edition mm-hmm. because of uh Steppenwolf shows up at the end with three mother boxes. <laughs> but mother boxes have already been shown because uh the guy that played Miles Dyson mm-hmm. shows that he definitely should not be allowed to be anywhere near technology in movies because as well as creating Skynet, he also manages to activate a mother box and mm-hmm. create cyborg in this. So maybe you should just stick to vacuum cleaners. Yeah. <laughs> well, the... Yeah, sorry, I've lost my train of thought. Sorry. It's a it's a film that's hard to keep a train of thought. Yeah, I was, I was just going to make... so much in it. I was just going to make the point that this suffers from the same thing as um, Terminator 3, Rise of the... whatever it was, Rise of the Machines or Rise of the Robots. Um, That film had sequences in it that seemed like they were almost deliberately pulled together for the trailer and Mm -hmm. to make make you go, oh, that looks awesome. I wonder what what that is. Oh, wow, we're definitely going to get to see that. We're definitely going to see awesome robot armies and blah blah blah. And this film very much had the same. And the, there were elements in the trailer for this film that played out in the ultimate edition. And yeah. I have to say, I felt quite cheated by that. So the and I mean by I mean by that the dream sequences. It was the it, there was very short flash forward sequences in Terminator Rise of the Machines um, about an alternate future. Um, but they never followed anything to do with the crux of the the film, and the that's because set... the film was so poorly received, though, because the problem with Terminator Three is that the the all the way through it, what you don't know is the army's job in that film 
is basically to make sure that John Connor and whatever the woman that was the vet mm-hmm. was called should be taken to this nuclear bunker so that they can survive the rise of Skynet. Uh-huh. So it was a film that was based around how do we now get on to telling the future story of Terminator? Uh-huh. And was so busy doing that that it forgot to tell a really good story about just now. Yeah, sure. And then people sure. went, oh, I really don't like that. And, well, Dawn of Justice, it's, it's all about telling us how the Justice League is going to form. Mm-hmm. And then... In hindsight, you've got like this whole idea of the the metahuman thesis mm-hmm. that is just so poorly explained that when you watch like Ezra Miller's appearance as the Flash, where he's in a convenience store and it just shows you like the somebody's trying to hold the shop up, and then there's a bit of a kind of wee glitch. It's, I suppose it's meant to be like the flash or the speed force has affected the cameras in some way and then all of a sudden the guy's on the floor and Ezra Miller's back where he was standing but it glitches so fast that who would watch that and go it was that guy that did it sure and then you've got the, the Wonder Woman thing where you're like well she's posed for a photograph a hundred years ago like as part of a an army unit, and now all of a sudden she's back. Why? Because yeah. she even says, "I walked away from humans a hundred years ago," uh-huh. but doesn't say why she came back. I thought like, it was really, I thought it was really dumb, and yeah, um, really. Even un- Wonder Woman looks awesome. Yeah. I don't know. I just felt like they were kept keeping throwing things at me for no reason, and I I just felt like they introduced way too much. Yeah, and then you get Aquaman, where you're it's like, that's a cyborg as well, but that's uh, everything. Yeah, I mean the the cyborg thing. You're like, well, somebody's going. Oh, why has this thing suddenly happened? But if surely, if a scientist had discovered a mother box mm-hmm. and was keeping documentation about it. They wouldn't just keep it to themselves. I suppose maybe they would keep it to themselves a wee bit, but why would somebody then have managed to just get these wee bits of information? And where are all these characters meant to have been while all this research was going on? Sure. It yeah, doesn't, no, absolutely. It just leaves you full of okay, right, so there's Cyborg, there's The Flash, there's Aquaman, there's Wonder Woman. Whilst at the same time, you've you've got what could have been a much better story. I mean, KG Beast is hugely overlooked in this, to the point where he might as well just be a, a basic mercenary. Mm-hmm. But then this is a film where Jimmy Olsen introduces himself and within the first seven minutes of the film dispatched. is shot in the face. Uh-huh. You know, and the in the theatrical version he doesn't introduce himself. 
Oh, oh right, okay. So it's just an anonymous it's, character. Could just could just be anybody. Okay. Oh, this is somebody that works for the CIA. Uh huh. But in the extended edition, they're like, oh, this is Jimmy Olsen, yep. who now works for the CIA and yeah, has never was... met Lois Lane. Yeah. You know, Clark Kent's best friend for half a century in the comics. Mm-hmm. Zack Snyder's like, oh, shoot him in the face. Yeah. But let's stick a couple of Watchmen things in the background of this film. Quite a lot. As well. Quite a lot of different different things. Um throughout there was uh what did I notice? The, the end is nigh is written. Oh the end is nigh as well. Right at the start. Uh I think there's what? like a Spanish language thing somewhere. It's Latin. Cat had pointed it out to me. It's, I didn't it's, realize it's, it's Latin. Who, yeah, who, who watches the Watchmen? But well, it's not Watchmen; it's Watchers. But who watches the Watchers is one of the bits of graffiti hmm. towards the end of the film. Very cool, as well. So, so I mean, those 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 two. But then the Watchmen have been brought into the standard DC continuity now. Uh huh. And and a lot of people don't like the Watchmen film, but I. I kind of do. I, hmm. But that's another film where Zack Snyder went, how long do you need to take to actually tell this story in any sort of sensible way? And the studio went, yeah, you've got like an hour less than that. So he made the full story and then there's a an extended edition that gets released that makes it much more sensible. Mm-hmm. Why don't they just release the full stories because then, if it's the people that like Watchmen that are going to go and see Watchmen, because a casual viewer is not going to look at. I mean, the theatrical release of Watchmen was still about three hours long anyway. Uh huh. Or at least two hours 45. Uh huh. So, true. somebody that just wants to go and see a, a film on a Wednesday night isn't going to go, yeah, let's go for the like two hours 45 minute thing uh-huh. that I've got no idea about whereas people that like Watchmen uh-huh. they're going to go and see it and go well it's a long film but it's worth it because it's a long in-depth story Yeah, and that's the problem with Batman v Superman is that they've come up with a long in-depth story that I mean they, they could have done away with the meta-human stuff and the idea that Lays Luther knew who Batman was and knew who Superman was mm-hmm. would have been enough because it wouldn't have to know who Wonder Woman was. She could have been like the spanner in the works. Whereas in this, there isn't a spanner in the works. But at the same time, at the end of the film, after he's gone to all this effort to set up Bruce Wayne to the point where he will hate Superman so much that he can persuade Bruce Wayne to then go and kill Superman for him, which Bruce Wayne could have done, apart from Martha Maddox. That's just absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but one plus one equals nothing. That's... Equal, equals what? Yeah, one plus one equals Martha Maddox. But, yeah, they could have used that as the, the whole storyline and that the spanner in the works on Batman and Superman's side 
could have been the Wonder Woman has been lurking about that Lex Luthor knows nothing about. And then just when they think they've got the upper hand, he That's goes, the... oh, by the way, here's fucking Apocalypse. Yeah. <laughs> As opposed to him having set this whole thing up. Because Lex Luthor is meant to be a genius. And I think that kind of gets overlooked. Is that Lex Luthor is meant to be so smart that he could genuinely, in the comics, have set this sort of nightmare scenario up. Uh-huh. And that it would have worked and played out. And for some strange reason, he's gone, well, you know, I I need a backup. You know, I, I need to have, like, a mutated General Zod, which, that's that's not Apocalypse. Mm-hmm. But in this, that is Apocalypse. And you're waiting to see, like, big, horrible, nasty, spiny Apocalypse. And all you get, really, is one spine. Uh-huh. That's it. I mean, he looks like Abomination. Oh, uh-huh, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, he looks like Abomination from The Incredible Hulk. Uh-huh. All the way through this. Like, not even just similar, but like, oh, they've just, they've borrowed Marvel's CGI effect for this movie. Uh-huh. And that end fight scene with Lois Lane having to be involved, uh-huh. that takes Superman out of the fight to the point where like, he he looks back like where he's going like oh yeah I'm maybe a quarter of a mile away I'm looking over at like this giant battle that's going on between a woman that I've got no idea what her powers are mm-hmm. and a guy that I've just found out is actually just an eccentric billionaire oh but uh, I'm going to dive into the water next to a kryptonite spear despite the fact that I know that it will basically cripple me I mean that that scene makes no sense like one minute he's rescued Lois Lane and then next minute she's pulling him out of the same water mm-hmm. did, did you feel attachment to either of the characters uh, I did like Batman okay because he does rationalise things uh-huh. A little bit, I suppose, and the the idea that there, this cinematic universe is dropping in on a kind of slightly older, more jaded Batman. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, we, as I said before, we get the origin story at the start, and I mean, Zack Snyder forgets that he used the bat as a symbol of something that that had terrified him. Uh-huh. to strike fear into others and at the start of this film when he's surrounded by bats he's like triumphantly holding his arms out like yes you know, yeah, it's a dream oh. though it's a dream sequence well it's, but it's him remembering uh-huh. you know when you're recalling what happened to you as a child you don't remember the most traumatic thing that has ever happened to you as yeah a, that didn't that didn't happen you... though because he gets lifted up yeah that but but you still wouldn't, you wouldn't show an audience like a young Bruce Wayne being surrounded by bats and being lifted up because the comic book fans would be like, no, he's meant to be terrified. We didn't need to see Jeffrey Dean Morgan playing Thomas Wayne. 
at all. We didn't need to see Martha Wayne at all. The fact that their parent, well, their mothers both had the same name mm-hmm. is an absolutely ludicrous thing for them to to hinge the whole final fight on, and they could have found something better. I mean, they it would have been so easy to just pick anything. Yeah. Like, like, hey, I like your shoes. That's even that's better than our mums of the same name. Mm-hmm. I mean, like when see when Lois Lane runs in, and she's like, "That's his mother's name," and then all of a sudden, Batman's like, "Oh well, okay, I'll just, I, I've spent the past eighteen months desperately trying to get this piece of rock that's in my hand that can just kill this guy that's on the floor that I see as being the biggest, like." threat to the entire planet mm-hmm. I'll just put this down because his mum's got the same name as my mum that that's ridiculous it's absolutely mental but at the same time it's it reminded me of the like Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome mm-hmm. where it's the fight between Max and Blaster okay and Max is like really going for it in the fight and just then all of a sudden he knocks the helmet off Blaster and realizes that Blaster has some sort of like mental disability mm-hmm. and Master runs in going, He's just a child. Mm-hmm. You're like, Oh, okay. So he was he's just been trying to kill you with a chainsaw. And you've finally got the upper hand, but you suddenly change your mind because you're like, oh, that's just daft. I'm not saying that Max should have killed Blaster. I think that Max was right in that scenario. Uh-huh. But Lois Lane running in going, his mum's called Martha. Yeah, it's just, it's ridiculous. Oh, it's not, not necessarily the best yeah. thing on which the the argument can can pivot. And I mean, the, But if Wonder that's... Woman had been the secret, then that could have been the thing that pivoted them towards, like, oh, by the way, we can now fight Lex Luthor. How so? Well, if if Lex Luthor hadn't been aware of Wonder Woman being in the equation, like, in the in the film, Diana Prince is floating about, mm-hmm. and, I mean, well, she's at the party where Lex Luthor is like in hindsight, obvious. Oh uh-huh, yes. Uh-huh. Obviously aware that he's got Superman and Batman standing in front of him, but according to his hard drive, he also knows that he's got Wonder Woman just floating about over in the corner. Uh huh. He doesn't involve her in that, but he somehow he invited her. Why? Just so that he'd have three people to fight because Wonder Woman has nothing to do with the fight at the end. Uh-huh. You know, she jumps in as, like, backup only because Bruce Wayne sends her an email. Yep. And then when Superman says, is she with you? Bruce Wayne says, I thought she was with you. Even though he just emailed her and gone, by the way, big fight down by the dock, see you there. Yeah. But they could have used something from her side of the story to to be the thing that that pivots during that final fight so that then Lex Luthor could have gone, oh, well, you've surprised me with that, but hey, 
I've got this big mutant. The mother's thing just seems ridiculous. Oh, no, definitely. Um, I enjoyed uh, certain elements of it. I thought uh, Henry Cavill was interesting as Superman. Um, I think... I think he did... I think as Clark Kent, he was very much on that line between abusing the power that he had, and you were kind of seeing glimpses that he was almost abusing the power, that, what limited power he had at the Daily Planet um, to put across a particular agenda. Um, and that that in itself was interesting. Um, Bruce Wayne, uh enjoyed very much. I liked I liked Batman. But I didn't feel with either character that I was particularly emotionally invested in them. Um mm. not in the same way that I, I felt with uh Christian Bale when we, you know, got to see him from the start, uh being trained and becoming becoming Batman. But and then kind of turning away from, turning away from it. I I realise that we don't necessarily want that again, but I don't I I think we needed something else or something different. Um rather than him just being a little bit older. I think we needed to kind of <laughs> have you know so, some weight to that that little bit older, um little bit wiser, a little bit more paranoid, a little bit more reactionary. Maybe we saw that a little bit, but that's, that's um, what I was thinking because I thought that maybe the weight for his character was the the stuff that we see at the start, uh-huh. where I mean he's going out of his way to try and rescue as many people as possible, uh-huh. and charging towards the Superman General Zod fight. But then you've not seen Man of Steel. I haven't seen Man of Steel, no. And at the end of Man of Steel, it makes it look like basically Metropolis is decimated. Uh-huh. And for some strange reason, like the the characters who need to wander out of the dust at the same time, despite uh-huh. not having been in the same place, all, all end up like 15 feet away from each other going... Phew. No, don't get me wrong. I, re- I really liked the start. Like, and, and I mean, the the good thing was it kind of touched on similar uh, themes to uh, Civil War, and the 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 thing that Civil War did with uh, that that was similar to Batman versus Superman was that it turned the camera around and showed the aftermath from... And, I mean, that's some of the kind of most interesting uh, comics. Um, I'm thinking particularly Marvels and Ruins as well. The two... Um, the Warren Ellis wrote, um, wrote Ruins, which was a kind of reaction to Marvels, which was written by Kurt Busiek, and that was from the position of um, a photographer called uh, Ben... Uh, ben Urich, um, who, w- interestingly enough, was featured in the Daredevil um, comic, the Daredevil uh, TV series that recently aired on Netflix. Um, and, yeah, he was one of the characters in that, but um, yeah. At the newspaper? Yeah, at the newspaper. He was the kind of investigative uh, reporter on that, and the, in the, 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 the film. It oh, was... who gives her access to all the files? Yeah, uh-huh. so in the. I don't know what you mean. Yeah, in the comic, he was a kind of photojournalist who was recu- who was terminally ill with cancer, and mm. it basically followed um, 
the kind of golden era of the Marvel Universe through his eyes. So the coming of the Fantastic Four and the concerns that were going through people's minds with regard to these gods among us and these gods that, that yeah. and and I should kind of talk about similar kind of questions to what what have been raised uh, in Civil War and then subsequently in uh, Batman versus Superman: Dawn of Justice, um, and both views of Daredevil have been quite good at that as well. Actually, I, I like the idea that the the Marvel Cinematic Universe is a thing that has happened, and then within the Netflix series, you do get little glimpses of here's people that are living through the aftermath of yeah. a building that collapsed beside them. Yep, and they're. They're more. They're probably just as scared of the idea of seeing Iron Man or Thor or any of those characters as they would be, kind of going, "Oh, it would be nice to see that guy," because you know these these are people that only turn up when things seem to be really horrible, and your entire city might just accidentally fall out of the sky. Okay, so I think you should probably wrap it up at that. Um... <laughs> okay. You're laughing? What? Yeah, no, I was just uh, wondering if you had any more thoughts on the the future of... Because, well, you've not seen Man of Steel. No. But how how do you see the, the DC cinematic universe moving forward? I find, now it, I find it incredibly with... difficult to care. The, um... it's, it is like that, isn't it? Because... Did you watch the Comic-Con trailers for Wonder Woman and Justice League and Suicide Squad? I saw Justice League um, with the Aquamans. I think that was a teaser trailer. Um, and I like I like the way they're portraying Aquaman because I think they needed to do something with that character. He's for so long been a kind of figure of fun. Um, mm. And I, I, I think, I mean, it's, it's hard for him not to be, to be fair. Um, but I think they needed to go in a quite radical direction away from how he's been portrayed in the past to make it in some way acceptable. Um, they've got him wearing uh, kind of army boots and drinking bourbon straight from the bottle. Yeah. So, I mean, again, I think part of the problem is what, what the people in charge at DC perceive to be cool um, is not necessarily in keeping with uh, reality, hmm. I think. Um, but do you also think that maybe they're a bit worried that people might think they're trying to emulate the Marvel movies? Well, I thought if, 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 if they if they made movies that if they made the movies that they probably should be making, you know, they're they're kind of in between the movies that they're currently making and the movies that are Marvel mm-hmm. that Marvel have been making, where there's you get a wee bit more darker edge, but you also still have comedy levity. Yeah. There's like one joke in this whole film, and it's uh, "I'm with your son." Oh, I kind of guessed because of the cape. The rest of it, there's there's not one joke throughout the whole film or anything to kind of lighten the mood whatsoever. It's just an unrelenting slow. That's not why I laughed at that bit though. That was because uh, that was when Batman rescued Martha. Martha. Yep. Martha. Yep. And like he, like five minutes beforehand, he 
had a kryptonite spear mm-hmm. held aloft, ready to just stab it straight through Superman's chest and be like, yes, I've won. And then due to the whole Martha thing, he then goes off and rescues her and goes, I'm a friend of your son's. Like, you're not a friend. Oh, fair enough. That's not the sort of, it's not a friendly thing to do. Oh, we were just having a bit of, you know, a bit of roughhousing. Uh, I mean, in in fairness, I mean, we we say about the Marvel films being such a success that, you know, the best, the best of these Superman, the best of these superhero films have really been produced, well, by DC, to be fair, but, um, you know, I think Mar- yeah. Marvel's been more consistent. Marvel have got like a, a a production factory, and they've got a very clear idea what what works and what doesn't. Um, and you know, f- full credit to them because I mean they've managed to rehabilitate Spider Man. They've managed to rehabilitate, um, the, well, the X Men. No, really. Um, no, not really. no, it's and that they were nothing to do with that either. To be fair, that's kind of, um, but yeah, they've they've managed to to rehabilitate Spider Man, and seemingly, hopefully, that then moves into a uh, Fantastic Four. I, I'm still really <laughs> no, man. You think they're going to have another shot? I Fantastic really. Four? You think that Sony are going to say, okay, we've failed. What twice? They, t- right? they really, really should, and I mean the the, the fantastic. Should, but I love the Fantastic Four, and Doctor Doom is such an amazing character, and it's it's such a shame that the 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 Fantastic Four films have have they really delivered. Yeah. Um, it's so. it's a really strange world that we live in, where the thrown together, no budget. Roger Corman, Fantastic Four movie, <laughs> is the best yes. of the four Fantastic Four movies that have been made. And I really can't wait for the documentary about that to finally come out. It's called Doomed. And if anybody's not seen Roger Corman's Fantastic Four, it is on YouTube. And it looks like a comic book movie from the early 90s and the only reason it was made was because if they didn't make a film then the rights to the characters would lapse and then you know they'd they'd have just spent a lot of money on nothing so they, they spent no money on something and that meant that they could then just not release that film and that tidied them over until they brought out the one with like Jessica Alba and that, the guy that played Johnny Storm. <laughs> I don't know what happened to him. I don't know. Was... There you go. Don't forget your toothbrush, I think. Um... Oh, but Chris Evans. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, he was on Channel 4 okay. it? and T- TGI Friday. Right, I'm oh, TFI Friday, sorry. I'm shutting this thing down. Um, guys, thank you very much for listening. Indeed, we really appreciate your time. Um, Gil, uh, where can the good people at home find us? Uh, crispy pancakes. We certainly can. You can also... Uh... That was a good pun. <laughs> find us crispy pancakes. So. <laughs> It's it's so good you needed to explain it, or it's just that your friend is so slow. Um, so guys, as ever, uh, you can find us on Facebook, 
by searching for Gilman Roscoe's Spacious Horror Podcast. We are on Stitcher again, uh, bit.com ly slash bodacious stitcher um you can also find us on twitter i am uh, at bodacious horror and gil you are at gil rockatansky you certainly are my friend Um, and we shall also soon have every episode available on the gil and roscoe's bodacious horror youtube channel very cool, very cool. Okay, guys, so thank you very much once again for listening. Um, we shall try to do something more horrific. <laughs> <laughs> we, we promise. Um, next next uh, month, week, whatever, next episode. Um, yeah. <laughs> no promises. Episode's good. Yeah, yeah no promises. Um, so, guys, thank you very much again, and please don't have nightmares. But do have a toasty. Can you dig it? <laughs> okay, let's get down to it, boppers. Twilight.